And uh, it's all going to be one and the same tonight. Uh, as I already mentioned, the question that came about uh, yesterday, uh, really and truly, it, 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 there's so much background that is involved in it. Uh, because so many people have misinterpreted and misunderstood and misdirected uh, th this particular teaching. I want to make sure that we're very clear on it tonight. So let me get the camera locked in on me. I don't know if it's locked in or not. I didn't get three blue. Uh, it's just blinking, so maybe we're okay. Uh, so nonetheless, so here is the question tonight. So the question is, what are the marks of a person under demonic influence or devil possession, if you will? And uh, would you deal with this person, or in dealing with this person, would you have regular contact? So again, uh, we're, we're looking at demonic influence. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at the topic of a demonic influence. And it is important for us really truly to gather, because uh, you can get yourself in trouble. I'm going to go ahead and let me just say this on the onset tonight. You can get yourself in trouble with a misinterpretation concerning uh, demonic influence, demon possession, devil possession, and this and that. And uh, so I'm, I'm probably going to move around a little bit, just try to get that thing squared away, my good babe. So the first thing that I want us to look at tonight, again, this is a tremendous question, is I want us to look at the background, the background, because we need to understand the devil has sub subordinates. He has henchmen. Uh, he has angels. He has evil spirits. He has unclean spirits. And he has devils, okay? And again, if, if we were to ask the average person just on the street today, in your mind, what is a demon? Who do you, what do you think a demon is? Where did a demon come from? Most people are going to say that they're fallen angels, all right? Which reveals a uh, complete lack of, of, of reading or studying uh, the Word of God. Um, so he, we know that the devil has principalities, he has powers, he has world rulers, spiritual hosts. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, you can either turn there or read it from the screen tonight. Uh, what I would suggest, because I've done most of the work for you tonight, is I would be concerned with taking notes as rather than turning your, your pages this evening as we have the verses on the screen. But, but Paul says here in Ephesians 6 verse 12, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against uh, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Not one time did it say we wrestle against angels. Not one time did it say that there. Uh, you know, the devil has sinners that will do his work for him. John chapter 8 and verse 44. Ye are uh, of your father the devil, the lust of your father ye will do. Uh, he was a murderer from the beginning, abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So I want to stop there just for a second. You know, we, we begin to look at, at, at what, uh, when, when the Lord says, uh, the year of your father, the devil, okay? Now, we, we forget often many a times because one of, the, one of the leaning protagonists that you have when it comes to teaching this type of scriptural truth is that people will say, well, the devil can't procreate. He can't create anything. He can't do X, Y, Z. okay. Find that in scripture. Okay? Jesus Christ used the word the Father. Okay, now he could, we understand he could be saying that, you know, you're just following uh, the one that owns you. Because before you're saved, you're owned by the devil. Okay? All right, we're the devil's pawns uh, before we're saved. I understand the principle here, John 8, 44. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, this is not on the screen, so I, I do apologize for saying that everything's on the screen tonight. This is a bit of an afterthought. But if you go back to a, a Genesis chapter 3, 
And we understand what happens, you know, the fall of mankind, this and that, and then the judgment that we find, verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. So there's a product, if you will, of Satan. I'm going to put enmity between thy seed and her seed. And we know, of course, uh, the, the end is a, is a prophecy of Jesus Christ, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So we understand that the devil has henchmen. He has subordinates throughout the world that are not just angels. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. So somewhere along the line, after God created uh, the angels and, and Lucifer, which is the cherub, he's not an angel, and uh, they were cast out of heaven when he rebelled against God. When that happened, we also have this litany of principalities and powers and dominions and thrones that are a product somehow of Satan. This is the background again. Now, the devil also used good, godly people to do his work. You say, whoa, wait a second. Well, we remember the, the incident in Matthew 16. in Caesarea Philippi, verses 22-23, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Uh, but he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So Satan can and will use anything he can get his hands on tonight to thwart the work that God is doing. Now, I know you're sitting there saying, well, you know, Satan ain't going to use me at all. He can't use me. Don't let your heels fly up, Slick. That's that, what that is right there is the open door for Satan to get a hold of you and use you to destroy your home, to destroy your neighborhood, your ministry, your life, everything that you know is when you say, well, he can't touch me. Listen, MC Hammer, you ain't big enough to face the devil. Do you understand that tonight? You don't want to deal with him. Peter was a good, godly, fundamental Bible believer. He loved the Lord, and he spoke up, and he took Satan's position when he said, hey, this is not going to happen, which many Bible scholars do today. Many, you're still laughing at the MC Hammer here, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least Wendy's not here to bring it up later on. Amen. <laughs> that would be one in her notebook tonight. Amen. We have to let her know. So anyway, so listen, all of these things can be, and listen to the word that I'm using in this. It can be an influence for Satan. All right. Good godly people, people that love the Lord and are wanting to do his will and do the right thing. And yet still, when they begin to take the word of God and look at it in a way, listen, you know, I know we made it, I know what well, Kelt made a joke about the chosen frozen because it's so cold in here. Now we're the chosen frozen, right? Um, you know, we know that's referring to Calvinists because they, they dead as 4 a.m., but, you know, they, they think they're chosen above and beyond everyone else. You know, there's a lot of Calvinists, many of them. They're good, God, they're good godly people, all right? They're not bad people, not all of them, Okay. Um, there are men that call themselves Calvinists who really and truly are on 5.2 of Calvinists and, and really and truly in their mind and in their intentions, they're doing what they know to be God's will. And they don't mean any ill intention. Peter did not mean any ill intention in Caesarea Philippi when he said, Lord, you're not going to go there. You're not going to kill you. I'll die for you. He said, get behind me, Satan, because only Satan would try to stop the work that Jesus Christ tried to do. Okay. And only a satanic influence would try to rob Mankind, the knowledge of a free will pardon of sin. Do you understand? Okay, so 
I want to make that clear. Satan will and can use anything he can get his hands on as an influence in this world. And there is a difference between influence and possession, and we'll cover that here in just a little while. All of this can be an influence for Satan, as you just said, and there's a difference, again, between influence and possession, and uh, we'll cover that in just a moment, so I forgot I wrote it down. So anyway, so next, the battle is what we're looking at. What is the battle, okay? Satan appears, Satan is manifest as an angel of light. He is no angel, okay? Uh, he is a cherub. A, chor- a cherub has four wings. You'll find that, and you'll know who he is in Ezekiel 28, the anointed cherub that cover. No angel whatsoever in any part of the scripture, in any one of the 66 books in the Bible, has ever appeared with any wings. Every single angel that's ever appeared appears in the appearance of a man, okay? Not long, blonde, flowing hair with blue eyes and and, and, and cracker skin, that's not how they show up. You understand? They've always been a man, okay? They've never had wings, not one time. And uh, uh, much less just two wings, if you understand. So a cherubim, a cherubim or a cherub has four wings. A seraphim has six wings. You find them in Isaiah 6, okay? And uh, we, so we understand this. But Satan himself, all right, even though he's four wings, is a perfect counterfeit of Jesus Christ. He has all of the charismatic signs of tongues and healing to deceive unwary uh, folk who learn not to prove things by the word of God. This is why it is so vitally important to prove things through the lens of scripture. This is why I wanted to take the time tonight to make this entire question, this sermon and this message so that we have a clarity of understanding of what we're dealing with when it comes to demonology. All right, so those out there that are deceived because they learn not to prove things by the word of God, they take on board uh, so many different types of translations. They no longer feel they have the word of God or they can't find out what it is because they're confused. And one of the plain true signs of satanic influence is the so-called speaking in tongues that you see in the world today by charismatics or this slain in the spirit flaying up and around and all this stuff on the floor. Nowhere in the history of Christianity has a biblical Christian ever fallen on the floor, foamed at the mouth, and flailed around in convulsions. You've never, that's never happened once. It's never happened scripturally, and it's never going to happen. The ones that are doing that are under a satanic influence, okay? Now, I'll go ahead and answer part of the question right now when it comes to that. You should have no dealings whatsoever with that crowd on the hill who jibber, 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 and flays around on the floor. They are under a satanic influence, and you don't want anything to do with it. How many people remember the old uh, Charlie Brown cartoon? You remember the comic strip, the old people? All right, we remember that, don't we? All right, Pigpen. Remember Pigpen? Pigpen was the dirty boy, okay? And he was all, he, everywhere, he was a real nice guy, but everywhere he went, he had a dust cloud around him because he was just dirty. That's why he's called Pigpen. That dirt of that charismatic movement, and I'm going to go ahead and call them by name, the Elam movement that came out of the, came out of the Welsh Revival in 1906 they began. Uh, you had the Azusa Street nonsense that happened. You had the thing that happened in Topeka, Kansas. You had it in California. All of it happened in 1906, and those charismatics ran wild because they wanted the sensationalism and the spiritualism and the excitement and all this and that, and all it produced was a false uh, religion anti-scriptural religion and an anti-Christ religion. And now you think that if you don't get hyped up on something on Sunday, that the Holy Spirit of God just haven't moved. Oh, now it's a multiple blessings, saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. 
If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not sealed in the day of redemption. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not saved. There is no saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. There's not a, a triple blessing or a quadruple blessing. You get saved, you get all the Holy Ghost you're ever going to get in your life. Amen. Being filled with the Holy Ghost is you rendering your body over to the Holy Ghost that is in you after you were saved. Very simple biblical doctrines. But these people are so nutty and so crazy that they buy into this satanic influence and it eats away as doth a canker into their life in biblical truth. And they get caught up in this movement. Some of them, guys, they just don't know any better because that's all they've been taught. And they believe flailing around and handling snakes and speaking in tongues is evidence of the Holy Spirit of God. We're not in Acts 2 anymore, number one. Number two, we never were commanded to pick up serpents. That's millennial kingdom, number one. And number two, that was a 70 that was sent out. It's got nothing to do with us in the church, man. So that's when you talk about the battle, the battle is about looking through everything through the lens of scripture. Again, I mentioned Pigpen. I don't want to be around those types of people because I don't want some of that dirt on me. I don't want that devil on me, amen, uh, if you want to know the truth. So when, when this fearful uh, beings, you know, this fearful being, speaking of, of Satan, comes down to this earth, this is what we read about him. It says that in, Rome, in Revelation 12, 12, it says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the seal, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth he hath but a short time. In our age, we are told this very simple. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Revelation 12, 12 is mid-tribulation. And when he comes down to this earth, he know God's kicked him out of the second heaven now. And all he is is on this earth. And he has a short time to wreak havoc on the world. We're told to resist the devil. We're told to submit under the mighty hand of God and then resist the devil. We're told to stand fast in the Lord, to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's what we're told in the midst of this battle with the satanic forces of this world. Nowhere, and you can write this down in ink tonight. Nowhere in the Bible is it ever insinuated that we can withstand the devil in our own power. Not one time. Nowhere is it ever suggested in the word of God that we have the power to ridicule the devil. Ain't Mark Michael the archangel rebuked him in Jesus' name. He wasn't even going to rebuke him outside of Jesus' name. Nowhere in the Bible is it ever insinuated that we can take him on single-handedly. There's no way in the world to do that. He is called the God of this world, okay? Uh, he has to run for the world. He's had the run of this world for centuries. Uh, uh, you know, he's gonna run this world until Jesus Christ comes back to set his millennial kingdom up and reign forever. When the kingdoms of our Lord and of, of his Christ become his kingdoms, amen? Uh, the Lord's kingdoms, you know? I mean, you know, we, as, as, just like he tested Job, he can test Christians today if we open up that door. The Lord said this unto, unto Peter, he said in, in Luke 22, he says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. So what is the lesson of the battle when it comes to satanic influence in this world? The lesson for the Christian is obvious, that we are, to, we are constantly to claim the victory over Satan through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we get into the marks and the characteristics, to thoroughly answer a question here in just a little while, you're going to find out about that blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and how important it is. Remember, it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that works on the atomic level. 
It works below the protons and the neutrons. It, it can be applied and, and contact things unknown to any scientist. That's what the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can do. It works in areas that we see not in our, our, our world. I mean, living or dead or in any kind of whatsoever, the blood of Jesus Christ works in, in microscopic areas that we cannot even see or fathom. Do you understand that tonight? We need to understand that in dealing with satanic influence. So after all, the blood of Jesus Christ can purge out our conscience from dead works unto the living God. It can purge us from our sins, uh, which are not physical things. It can be used uh, by the Christian in handling his warfare against Satan. So again, Paul's admonition, just to go back to Ephesians 6. Paul's admonition is, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles means methodology, Okay. Something that Adam and Eve did not do. Something that the greatest men and women in all of the history of mankind did not do and could not do. But now we have the whole armor of God. All right? Verse 13 says, Wherefore, taken unto you the whole armor of God, to be able to, stay, uh, be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Have it on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shy with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you are able to quench the fiery dart of the devil. Okay? We also read to humble yourselves. All right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. We also read in James 4, 7 to resist the devil and he will flee from you. So there, there is a, a, there's a methodology, there's a formula that God has given us, okay, that we can, we can take on board as Christians tonight to withstand the devil in this world. But you can't do it by yourself. You've got to do it with the formula that God has given us, okay? Now, the, the modern popular concept of demonology uh, found in movies and Hollywood production is, is part of the problem in understanding the battle that's laid between us, I mean, before us. And, I mean, with Satan and his devils. And I said devils. We're going to go into that here uh, in just a moment. But devils is the proper and biblical term. We use the word demon or demonic possession or influence. Um, and I'm going to show you why in just a moment. So we've seen the battle. We've seen the background. We're going to see what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about the devils and whatnot? So the reason why the word has not been Trans, uh, not been translated devils by most of your modern apostates today is because every so-called Christian institution, um, people are taught that there's only one devil, but then there's many demons. That's what they're taught. And this is part of the superstitious heritage that's passed down from uh, cultural cults and charismatics and Bible deniers who really regard to us have, have in, in regard to spiritual things, have less sense than a goat. I know that sounds quite, you know, mean, uh, but I'm just being honest with you tonight. They don't have any spiritual sense, no spiritual discernment whatsoever because they don't understand what the Word of God says. And all you got to do is pick it up and read it. That's the, that's, the, the, that's the sad part. At the end of the day, people are running around the world today and they're caught up and they open up their door and they open up their lives to a demonic influence, to a demonic possession when all they had to do was read the Scripture to find out how and where the battle should happen because the Bible gives us the answer, amen. Anyone that reads the Bible knows that there's one God, but there's many gods. Okay? Read 1 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 4. Write those down in your notes tonight. You can read them later on. Anybody that reads the Bible, they know, know there's only one angel of the Lord, but there's many angels of the Lord. 
Angel is capitalized because the biblical definition of an angel is not messenger, but rather appearance. Every angel has appeared, but everyone didn't have a message. You understand that? The angel of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's called a theophany. In the Old Testament, is the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ upon this earth. All right? We read about it in Luke 2, Matthew 2, Acts 27. All right? So we understand there's one angel of the Lord, but there's many angels of the Lord. So anybody who spends any amount of time with the Word of God instead of YouTube and commentaries and silly magazines out there, they know there is the Son of God, and yet there are many sons of God. We heard about this on Sunday. We've been given the power to become the sons of God through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That is an absolute in Scripture that we find, that we are the, the sons of God as his children, as being born again, as a part of the bride of Christ, we are part of the sons of God. But there's only one son of God. Does that make sense to you here today? You read the, I don't know if you guys are doing the, uh, the one, one chapter in Luke every, every um, uh, day for this month till the 24th. You get the whole story of Jesus Christ, Luke 1 through Luke 24. That's what we're doing. When you read the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, Luke being the Gentile that he was, he runs Christ's genealogy all the way back to Adam. And that final says, says, who, uh, says uh, the son of Adam, who was the son of God. He was the created son of God. Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God. That's why it is important to have 25 words in John 3, 16 and not 24. He's not the one and only son of God. He's the only begotten son of God. Otherwise, you remove the doctrine of the sons of God whom we, that we've been given the power to, have, to become and being saved and born again individuals. Oh, but preacher, it's just one word. Oh, but preacher, everybody just knows what you mean. No, they don't. You take the word begotten out and you remove the doctrine. Amen. That's a side note, so we'll move on. So, we, so there, there's certainly one devil, and that's a capital D, and there's many devils, and that's a little lowercase d. As a matter of fact, we know that Judas Iscariot was a devil. Okay, you see that in John 6, verses 70 and 71. Uh, he wasn't possessed by a devil. The Bible says he is a Let me ask you a question. When, when the Lord says, haven't I chosen 12 of you, and one of you is a devil, amen? What does that mean? It means he's a devil. It means exactly what it says is exactly what it means. But you'll hear people time and time again. Yeah, but, but what it really means is that he was possessed. Listen, if, if he was possessed of a devil, the Lord has sense enough to put that in there. Amen. Just like he did with the 35 other times when he saw possessions, said that he was possessed with an unclean spirit or filled with an unclean spirit or had an unclean. That wasn't what it was with Judas. Judas Iscariot is a devil. And I've taught you specifically exactly who he is. Okay. He went to his own place, according to Acts chapter 1. Where is that? It's in the heart of the earth. We know that he's in the bottom. Where is he? Got to, well, we'll go over it later on. But he's somewhere else. And there's no point in trying to correct the AV uh, by these superstitious scholars. The AV stands correct. Now, even though the belief in evil spirits have prevailed throughout mankind's existence, here's, here's where we get a little into a gray area. The Bible is hazy in answering the question as to the origin of demons or devils, okay? And there's several theories that, su that have been suggested by various scholars, and I've studied this out for 30 some odd years. Uh, I'm, scripturally speaking, you're not gonna find a definitive answer of where devils or demons, if you wanna call where they come from, okay? We have conjecture, we have uh, theories, but, we know for a fact they're not angels, all right? We know that. 
Some say that Satan, when Satan sinned against God, Isaiah 14, 12, Ezekiel 28, 15, that he didn't do so alone, but was a leader of a group of angels. This is, a matter of fact, what you find in John Milton's Paradise Lost. All right, if anybody ever read that in school, John Milton's Paradise Lost, uh, you know, brings about this whole idea. According to these people, when Satan fell, uh, the angels were cast out. These fallen angels become demons. And now, again, anybody who reads their Bible, they know that this is pure nonsense because they, uh, uh, angels are, are not in the least bit like any devil in the Holy Scripture. They're not in the sense of the entire word. Um, the, really, the, there was depraved theologians during the Dark Ages uh, who used to argue about how many angels could dance on the head of a pen. All right, that was one of their arguments they had. Uh, they were superstitious people throughout. They thought angels were kin to demons, and uh, they figured that since the maniac of Gadara, found in Mark chapter 5, had thousands of devils or demons within him, they believed that angels were small enough to sit on the head of a pen. And of course, when you read your Bible, we understand why it was called the Dark Ages. Okay? And the Dark Ages ran from 8500 to 8500. What happened? God shut the lights out on mankind. There was no movement of the scripture. There was a remnant of believers throughout that period of time. You had the rise of the Catholic institution. You had the crusade. You had the, the slaughter of thousand uh, Baptists, if you will. They were, they were not called Baptists at that time. It wasn't called Baptists until the 16th century when we were called Anabaptists because we rebaptized people and, and chucked that infant baptism nonsense uh, that was being taught. We, we baptized people biblically. And so the Dark Ages was a time where there was no movement other than that small remnant that preserved uh, the Word of God. And that's why it was called that. You read your Bible, you understand very quickly why it was called the Dark Ages. So in Matthew chapter 12, verse 26, Satan is presented as the king over a kingdom of lesser devils. All right? And this is why the King James Bible correctly translates the word demonion, okay, which is the Greek word for devil as devils, lowercase d-e-v-i-l. Spiritual Our scriptural testimony is clear. There's an abundance of devils at the time that the Lord Jesus Christ was on this earth. In our age of science and enlightenment, we've dismissed the biblical claims as, uh, as being just mere remnants of a medieval superstition or amusing joke. But you know, you know what, funny enough, you know who takes, who takes devils and demonic possession? You know who takes it seriously? Hollywood. Hollywood takes it seriously. It may give you an evidence of who actually is probably running Hollywood. They take it seriously. It's a joke to a lot of other people. And the Bible is a joke written, uh, you know, a book of fairy tales written by men just to scare people into submission is what they'll tell you. And yet when you come to Hollywood and their production of evil demonic films, they spend billions to give you an idea of what darkness and devil possession will occur. Guys, there's many pagan people today that are, that are ardent spirit, spirit worshipers. I mean, many Caribs, including our very own country right now. Uh, guys, in our very village right here, you'll find demon-possessed people speaking with voices of other people. You'll see it all over the place. You'll find all the information of how to speak in tongues and, and the exact information given for spiritual mediums and any demonic or satanic cult alive today you'll find it has that connection with that speaking in tongues. You know, we, my opinion as Christians, we need to study a little bit more and feel a little bit less. Well, I feel it means it doesn't matter what you, right now I feel frozen, amen? I'm, <laughs> I'm, that's how I feel. 
That doesn't change the, the biblical truth right now. You know, if you go to Manila in the Philippines or you go to Spain, you'll find demon-possessed people whipping themselves. You'll find them crawling around on broken glass to pay for their sins, cutting themselves with knives to pay for their sins. And uh, some are hanging on crosses. Some are wearing underwear to punish themselves, uh, you know, like rough uh, sandpaper type underwear to punish themselves for their sins. That's their ideology. That's, that's what their teaching of religion is, has, uh, has given them. And it's been given down by demon, demonic possession, devil influences. These things that we find, like in Mark chapter 5 and 1 Kings 17 and 18, and write those down. They're clear marks of what a demon possession looks like. You know, here's something that I want us to understand, especially scripturally tonight. Is again, we're building this foundation to finally answer the question here shortly. There's not one devil-possessed atheist mentioned anywhere in the Word of God from cover to cover. Every devil-possessed person in the Bible whose creed or belief is mentioned believes in one God, and they believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Now, ain't that something? You read Mark chapter 1. Read Mark chapter 5. Those devils cried out, Have, hast thou come to torment us before the time? They knew exactly who Jesus Christ was. They confessed him as who he was. Not one time do you find any of these people. Any of the 35 places that you check, you'll never find that they don't know who he is. Every devil-possessed man in the Bible who states a religious creed believes in the deity of Jesus Christ and the fatherhood of God. Devils are spiritual beings we find in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, they're called spirits. In Mark chapter 1, verse 23, a devil is called an unclean spirit. So devils and unclean spirits are one and the same thing. But guess what they're not? They're not angels. Make sure we understand that. Devils are spirits who have personalities and are represented uh, as intelligent beings who have supernatural knowledge and advanced information of coming events. Fortune tellers today, necromancers and so-called prophets of our world uh, who try to prophesy outside the Bible often consult with evil spirits to get their, their information. Did you know that Adolf Hitler used to look into supposedly the spear that pierced the side of Christ, which is, I guess, supposedly hanging in the Louvre today. But he used to look at that, and whether it's, the, whether it's the spear or not, I don't know. I mean, whether how they would know that, I don't know. But he would look at that thing, and he would meditate on it, and he would, he would consult with what was referred to as the ascended masters of the East. And in Adolf Hitler's own memoirs, he got his guidance and direction for the Holocaust from these spirits that would visit him in his office in the wee hours of the night after meditating upon that spirit. That crazy, satanic, possessed devil man who's burning in hell tonight, who killed 6 million Jews, 1.5 million were children, and 6 million of his own people, elderly and the infirm, got his direction for what he wanted to do from satanic spirits. He opened up that door. These, these, these spirits are, are represented as morally unclean individuals. Matthew in chapter 10 verse 1 says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. You can also again write down Mark 127. They are called unclean spirits. Uh, they can have superhuman strength, um, like a, a devil-possessed person, like devils-possessed people. We see that also in Mark chapter 5. They can cause dumbness, blindness, insanity, and suicidal mania. 
Devils of the Bible, contrary to any commentary in print, are winged creatures. Now, I know that's going to upset the apple cart. I know that's going to upset the apple cart right there. Uh, people don't want to hear that. Uh, but despite any commentary that's been written in the world today, uh, the Bible depicts these devils, these unclean spirits, as winged creatures. And they're no bigger than the end of your finger. Where did they come from? I don't know. And neither do you. I know one that knows where they came from. The devil and God knows where they came from. Okay? Those two do. Mary Magdalene is, has, is said to have seven of them. The maniac Adara had thousands inside of him. Depending on what you call a legion, it could have been from 1,000 to 12,000 up to 36,000. It was a, to the size of a Roman legion. Um, they cannot be fallen angels no matter what you do with the passage. Devils then can be spirits in the sense of, or they cannot be spirits in the sense of just airborne pieces of matter. They are some type of demonic, dark, devilish, winged creatures. Um, they're likened unto fowls in the air. You can write down Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Revelation 18. You write those three down. These unclean spirits are, a picture, are pictured in the Old Testament as a raven. Genesis chapter 8, the Holy Spirit of God is pictured as a dove. John chapter 1, Matthew 3, and back again to Genesis chapter 8. All right? The demons oppose God and they seek to defeat his will. They will oppress man and they seek to hinder his welfare. We find that in John chapter 1, or I'm sorry, Job chapter 1, verse 12. For what, what Satan, when he came before the Lord, does God, does Job trust thee for naught? He wanted to prove God that Job would curse God and hurt him and hurt his family and his well-being. In Luke chapter 13 and in verse 16, we find a woman who was oppressed of devils for 18 years. The Bible says, And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day. Demons distress mankind by deranging body and their mind. Matthew, I mean, Mark chapter 1, verse 23, and there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. And again, I refer back to Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. Menech Adar will refer to here in our closing argument here in just a little bit. They, they bring turmoil to the maniac uh, day in and day out. They bring turmoil to the, the life of mankind. That is their job. So we've seen the background of the devils and satanic, and satanic influence. We've seen the battle and we've seen what the Bible says. And so lastly, and to address the question, I want us to see the battleground itself. The battleground itself, where it comes. Satan, we need to understand, is not omnipresent. Okay? He is not omnipresent in the universe. However, he's more than likely twice as big as our solar system, depending on how you want to chop up Job chapter 41. All right? Uh, however you want to, to measure Job chapter 41 is how you, you can measure how big Satan is. He can sure enough handle three and four and five and six and seven countries at one given time. But he's not omnipresent, you understand. Of course, he certainly seems like he is because he has, uh, he has his, uh, his devils, his henchmen, working for him day and night. So when we begin to look at these devils, when we begin to address this question about a demonic influence, and demonic possession. Again, there are two different things. There are theological devils. And this is usually where people, if they have a, a remote on their computer tonight, this is where they're going to switch it off because they don't want to hear about theological devils. They teach false doctrines 
And I'm going to go ahead and make a, a say this, and this is probably going to, uh, again, kick the apple cart over a little more. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to estimate that at least 90% of the doctors being taught in our country today are false doctrines. False doctrines. Infant baptism is a false doctrine. Okay? Um, Calvinism is a false doctrine. All right? Work salvation is a false doctrine. Apostolic secession is a false doctrine. Speaking in evidence of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues is a false doctrine. All right? And, I, and the list could go on and on and on and on and on. It's not rightly divided in the word of truth. Right? But I'm saying that because... When we're looking, we think of demonic possession, and I know the, the, the backdrop that I use today for the, the social media in four hours here, you got this ugly looking devil there. That's not how they appear. Satan himself appears as an angel of light, does he not? You know, marvel not that his ministers appear as ministers, or his angels appear as ministers of righteousness. They don't come to you anymore in this nasty looking omen or exorcist type of, you know, imagery. Hollywood presents it like that, but that's not what he's doing. He comes to you in that sweet-looking face. Couldn't harm it. And teaches false. That's a theological devil. Paul warns us about him in 1 Timothy chapter 4. But the outstanding marks, and listen very carefully here, guys, because this is going to help you, I believe. The outstanding marks of a devil-possessed religion are two things. And this is according to 1 Timothy chapter 4. The way that you can spot a demonic religion operated by devils, a demon-possessed people, is first they forbid to marry and they command you to abstain from meats. I don't care how nice they are. I don't care how many warm blankets they're passing out. I don't care how many meals they're serving. I don't care how many light bills they're paying if they teach those two things or even one of those two things, they are being demonically influenced and led. It is a theological devil. Notice what the Bible says. Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And then within the same chapters where we find them, and for, that's what he calls them, Seducing spirits and doctrines of the devil. Teaching to abstain from marriage, okay? I'm sorry, to, to forbidding them to marry and abstaining from meats. Now, you may sit here now and you're running in your mind what types of churches or so-called churches teach um, that, uh, that you should, that you should uh, abstain from marriage and this and that. Uh, the, he goes on to say here, if you will, in verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hard iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created uh, to be received uh, with thanksgiving uh, of them which believe and know the truth. Yeah. Fair enough. So you just, you know, you do the math. What so-called religions teach you to abstain from, command you to abstain from meats? And forbid certain ones to marry. Once you figure that out tonight, you go ahead and put them in the, the theological demonic category. All right? Pretty simple. Very clear. They're theological demons. So they teach doctrines, and doctrines they teach, they, they'll, they'll quote from the Bible when Satan talked to the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew 4. What did he do? He quoted scripture, didn't he? All right? Uh, so these theological devils teach doctrines, 
which the Bible called doctors of devils, but yet they twist scripture in order to do so. They are taught by false apostles who imitate Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, they are not real apostles, Revelation 2, 2. Uh, and why aren't they real apostles? Because they don't have the apostolic signs, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Uh, and they, but they'll counterfeit them. We find that in Mark 16. The Bible calls them in Revelation 2, 2, calls them liars. And what does the Bible say about liars? All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Okay? We have in our world today, in this battleground, we have sorcery. All right? We remember uh, Bar-Jesus, or Elymas by his name, and Paphos. Uh, he was a sorcerer. He kept all the people in blindness. Sorcery invokes astronomy, chemistry, familiar spirits, but especially the use of drugs. You see, we, here's the thing. In our mind, guys, when we think of sorcery, we picture the witch of Endor there and King Saul going and visiting her and she's stirring her pot. That's what we, that's what we think of. But you have sorcery today in Big Pharma. You understand as a matter of fact, the word sorcery comes from the Greek word pharmakeia, which we get our word pharmaceuticals or pharmacy. Do you understand? You know, you can read about them in the book of Revelation. You read about Isaiah 47, 9. You read about Acts 19, 19. It's very clear. Witchcraft is plainly complicit uh, with evil spirits uh, and is condemned in Galatians 5, 20. Uh, it's essentially devil worship and it's counted as rebellion according to 1 Samuel 15, 23. So let's address the question I have. I said all that. You know, what are some of the marks? I've already given you the marks of theological devils, theological demons, uh, religious-wise, okay? Now, guys, when I say theological devils, I'm not talking about Satan worship. If somebody's a Satan worshiper, we don't need to look any further. they just Satan worshipers, all right? That's clear. They got the pentagram. They got Baphomet. You know, they ain't hiding anything. You understand? They still devils. They go into hell. They're wicked as all get out. But I'm talking about those masquerading around in, uh, in, their, in their cloaks and having a, a form of righteousness, but yet they're teaching doctrines of devils. All right, we spent all those weeks going over the apostates among us, I believe over the summertime, teaching uh, teaching out of uh, out of the book of Jude and uh, out of the book of James and, and, and go or Second Peter, sorry, uh, two, and going over what he called apostates. Apostates are someone they're not saved. They're not someone who is saved and left the religion. These are people who received the truth, rejected the truth, ridiculed the truth, and now they're trying to replace the truth, like forbidding you to marry and abstaining from meat. It's very clear what a theological devil is. So. There's four tests tonight that will assist us in recognizing a demon possession or demonic influence in a particular person. We've already talked about the theological devils. We're going to move, move away from those now. About a, a, someone who's under the possession or the influence of a devil this evening. But there's a fifth one that is a true marker of either influence and oppression. So number one uh, tonight, the first thing we find, the first mark of demonically possessed uh, those that are connected with evil spirits will like to work in the dark. They want the sun to go down. They want the lights to turn low. And did you notice that, what I just said? They want the lights to turn low. Jesus Christ said in John 3, 19, and this is the condemnation that light came into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. There, there is an association with the dark when it comes to 
evil spirits, evil dealings, and men love darkness rather than light because that light exposes them to who they are. You ever met someone who could never ride in the car without the radio on, without some type of sound going on? Do you know why? You know one of the reasons why a lot of people struggle with that? Because in the midst of quietness, you're forced to face who and what you are. You're forced to deal with the situations in your life. You can turn the music on and you can get distracted or the, or the talk show or the podcast or whatever. And you can pass the time. And I get it. But in the quietness of a car, you've got to address who you are in life. You've got to spend some time thinking about it. It's the same thing with the light. All right, that'll make you a bad person, by the way, if you like the music sound. I'm going to say that. What I'm saying is those guys that don't want to be in the light, they don't want to be exposed to who and what they truly are. And they love the darkness because of the evil spirits. Second, second mark that we find in recognizing devil possession or devil influence, the spirits deny the personality of Satan as an evil being. All right. Not one false religion came into this country connected with devil worship that does not tell you that there is no such thing as an absolute being who is absolutely wicked. They will teach that there are only influences and pressures. You mark them down. Those that will say there is no absolute evil, no absolute evil being, they will deny the personality of Satan. They deny who he is. The word, I mean... You got to think about who, who Satan is and what he does from the very beginning. But we, uh, I know an individual, uh, self-proclaimed Satan worshiper, but in his mind, he falls into this category right here. I think he is devil possessed personally, but he will tell you, yes, I'm a Satan worshiper, but in worshiping Satan, it means that I worship myself. I don't worship the devil because I don't believe in the devil, but I worship Satan because I worship myself because there is no such thing as this 100% evil, wicked being. This is what he says. This is his mindset. So he, in other words, he believes we are gods. That sounds awful familiar from Genesis chapter 3, doesn't it? He, know, he knows in the day that I'll eat thereof, thou shalt become like him. Thou shalt become a god. And he's so foolish to not see what he's saying. He believes in his Satan worship is really the worshiping of himself because he is in control of everything. He falls into the category of point number two. Marker number three, or test number three, a devil-possessed people hate the name of, watch this, the Lord Jesus Christ. They hate the expression, the blood of Christ. They will use the term Christ, and why do you think so? What does the word Christ mean? means anointed one, okay? Jesus Christ, our Savior. Satan's also, Satan's, one of Satan's title, according to Ezekiel 28, the anointed cherub. So they don't have a problem in using the phrase Christ because one of Satan's titles is the anointed cherub, the, uh, an anointed one, if you will. They don't have a problem with that. They have a problem with the blood of Jesus Christ. And many of them will often use the term Jesus by itself, forgetting the confession uh, was the name that his name will be above all names. And the confession of the name above all names is Jesus is the Lord. Well, you know, we covered this, I guess it was a Sunday night in that sermon. I'm going to preach this coming Sunday morning. 
You know, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the verse that we always use, use to lead somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ, that if thou shalt confess, which means agree with, the Lord Jesus. Hey, listen, you can you can believe that he's he died, you can believe that he rose again, and you can believe that, uh, that he was buried in the tomb. You can believe all that all day long. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, you're not saved, and you're not getting saved. That confession must be made. Those that are possessed or influenced by Satan will not confess Jesus is the Lord. You'll find all these things. You know, you'll find men saying, Jesus, Jesus, sweet Jesus, precious Jesus, my Jesus. And they're mighty thin when it comes to talking about the Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, you know, one of the ways, uh, one of the ways that they teach charismatic, and you can look this up, they actually have little pamphlets on it. The charismatics will teach you how to speak in tongues. Now, here's the deal. If it's, a, if it's a movement of the Holy Spirit of God, you don't have to be taught. Amen? Right? If it's truly you out of, you know, you're not in control of yourself and God's using you as a conduit to, to blah, 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 you know, then, then you don't have to be taught. But this is what they say. Just go down to the altar and start saying the name of the name Jesus as fast as you can, as many times as you can. So in other words, when you start stuttering, you're speaking in tongues and they believe that stuff. Nonsense. To you and I, it's absolute nonsense. But guys, you have millions of people around the world today. As of, I mean, right now, meeting in buildings and in churches who are doing that very thing. I heard a story of a Welshman one time who was in the States and went to one of these Pentecostal churches. And you know probably where I'm going with this. He stood up in the congregation and started speaking Welsh. And uh, of course, nobody in America knew how to speak Welsh. And, uh, you know, some lady over there on the other side stood up and said, Thus saith the Lord. And she started confessing that she was interpreting for him. And he rebuked her to her step. He goes, Lady, you're crazy. And all of y'all are crazy. He said, Number one, what I just said, I can't remember what he said, but it was something like the, you know, a national creed or code or something, man. And uh, he goes, This guy, this just proves that you guys are full of it, right? And he walked on out the building. Amen. I wish I could speak well, so I'd do that. Amen. And, uh, but anyway, it's just a joke, man. Point number four, guys, and I'll hurry along because I know we're, we're, uh, we've been at this quite a while tonight. Point number four, uh, these, these satanic people, they, these people that are, that are under the influence of possession, they deny Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, you read 1 John 4, 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come and even now already is in the world. And that may come to a bit of a shock to you, but when the Paulicians in the seventh uh, century, I believe it was, 8,600 some odd, when they were running from the Romish attack, they were being hunted down. Paulicians are our Baptist forefathers, by the way. Um, as they were fleeing the Romans, Romish persecution by the, uh, the Catholic institution, if you will, uh, they hid in the Damascus Alps uh, within the mountains. And there was an individual by the name of Muhammad who was suffering from these fits and these painful dreams at night. His family was in charge of a, a rock, which is actually a meteorite. And they worshiped the moon, his family did. They were in charge of this rock, and people would come to this rock on an annual basis. They would walk about it seven times and kiss it, and they would go down into what's called a wadi or a ditch and throw rocks at the devil. That was what they did in their, their pilgrimage. 
And this man named Muhammad was having these expressive dreams and he said that these quote-unquote 72 winged angels was visiting him in the night and, and uh, him and his band of men protected the Paulicians from the Romish persecution, protect them, actually befriended them for quite a while. And Muhammad would take advice and counsel from these Paulician leaders. And he went to them and he asked them, you know, listen, what is the meaning of this dream? Is this something of God? Is this, some, what is it? Matter of fact, the Paulicians taught him monotheism, that there wasn't the birds and the bees and the sycamore trees, but there was only one God. And he bought, he bought that, he believed it. And so their advice to him came right out of 1 John 4, 3. He said, the next time you have this dream, in your dream somehow, some way, ask these individuals if, uh, if they will confess Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And Muhammad took their advice. And in his own memoirs, he wrote that when he asked that question, that they went absolutely bonkers into a fit of rage. And unfortunately, Muhammad sided with these dreams. It's believed today they're epileptic fits, but uh, nonetheless, that, that's beside the point. Muhammad had an opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior, and instead, he gave way to a demonic influence giving birth to a devil-possessed religion that has been the result of millions and millions of oppression and, and death of people in the world today. They deny Jesus Christ has come to the flesh. So those are four characteristics or, or traits that you can recognize the devil influenced or the devil possessed. But lastly, guys, I'm going to give you something here. And I'm only going to give you a handful of, of scriptural verses supporting the fifth one, which is a mark, an unequivocal mark. All right, it's across the board. But the fifth thing that we find is that self-harm is a marker of the demonically influenced or oppressed or possessed individuals. Self-harm. Mark in chapter 9, verse 18 says, And whithersoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and foameth, and gnasheth his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to the disciples, and they should cast him out, and they could not. Luke chapter 9, verse 39. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him, that he foameth again and bruising him, hardly departeth from him. Of course, Matthew 17, we find this father who came to Jesus Christ, came to the disciples, and it says, And when they were come to the, the multitude, there came in him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. So oftentimes we find these devils are forcing those that they are inhabiting to harm themselves, jumping into a fire, jumping into the water to drown, to tear their bodies. And probably the most famous one that we've alluded to all night long is Mark 5. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying, and what's the last part? Cutting himself with stones. Now guys, I, I know this is a socially 
and culturally unaccepting and uninviting statement today to say that self-harm is associated with number one, satanic possession, but that's a biblical fact. But number two, satanic or demonic, oppression or influence. Because someone's being oppressed or influenced, I say oppressed, doesn't mean you're possessed. Job was oppressed by Satan himself, was he not? It's an attack, and, and we oftentimes will deal with this. Okay, do you understand? We will deal with a, a demonic oppression in our life. It, it, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Paul is very clear with that. So I don't want you to look at that or anyone listening to this to stop and think, oh my goodness, I'm going to reject all this because I, I had a history of cutting myself years ago and, and he's calling me devil-possessed. I'm not calling you devil-possessed. If you are devil-possessed, the Bible's calling you devil-possessed. I'm telling you, you could, be, you could be demonically oppressed or influenced because that is the battle. According to the Bible, this is the battleground. That is what it is. It is a true marker tonight of those that are in a battle with Satan. So to answer that second question about should we be in contact with those who may be demonically possessed, um, demonically oppressed, if someone is being influenced or demonically oppressed, I think we should be there. Biblically, we can see that we could be there when Jesus Christ was there with them. But a demonic possession is a different story, especially in our day and age. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this, that if, if you've confirmed that somebody has a demonic possession, no, I don't think you ought to be around them. Now, I know you may sit there and go, well, wait a second, what, I, you know, Shouldn't I lay hands on them? Find it in the scripture where you should be laying hands on them. Amen? You ain't an apostle. There ain't one apostle living today. Every apostle's been dead since John. Amen? And there's no such thing as apostolic secession. You may be an apostolic out there. That's the church you go to. You're wrong. It's just scriptural, guys. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm trying to tell you right now, we are not in apostolic times. We are not as Bible-believing Christians commanded to lay hands on anyone. Uh, there are no apostles today. The last one died with the apostle John, and you do not have the apostolic powers that Jesus Christ gave his apostles. We don't have those. These powers and signs were given to them and them alone. We are commanded to pray in faith to believe in faith and to get as many others as possible to pray uh, to pray this person to be removed. Matter of fact, for the stubborn ones, Matthew 70, 21, Jesus said himself, they goeth not out by, by prayer and fasting. Amen. Even at this time in Matthew 17, he's telling his disciples that there's going to be some of them that they're not going to come out. They're stubborn. You're going to have to pray and you're going to have to fast. He never said lay hands on them. Amen? And that's in his time under that dispensation. You should sing and speak as much about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as humanly possible. Just like we read in Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. The power over demonic influence tonight is in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in your hands and it's not in your power. There have been many, many, many good men who have been 
lost on this particular topic. This is why I took, I don't know what it's been, but it's probably been almost an hour by now. This is why I took this long to teach on this subject because it is so misunderstood, it is so misinterpreted, and people go out willy-nilly out there and say, let me lay hands on you, let me hug you, let me hang out with you, and whatever was inside that person jumps on you, amen? The 70s was ridden by that stuff. In the 70s, these crazy people who, who lost that pull the, from the 50s and 60s of those fanatical uh, types of preaching and that, that charismatic movement. And then all of a sudden, when you, got, you saw the hippies and the sexual revolution and all those things that happened, they concocted this idea that there was a, a sensual or sexual devils that were possessing people. And that was causing these people to do that. Oh, man, they was doing that stuff because they just depraved sinners. That's what they were doing. Yeah, they probably hopped up on drugs. There's your sorcery. There's, yeah. But these preachers started doing that stuff, and they started having these laying on of hands get-togethers and this. And you know what ended up happening? Those devils jumped on them men, amen? And that's why most of their ministries were destroyed by sensuality and promiscuity because of things they opened their lives up to that is against the Holy Scriptures. You better guard yourself from that. I'm not saying you got to turn and duck and run, but you overcome them by the blood of the Lamb. Pray fast, sing songs, sing hymns, that's how you're going to find somebody who's demonically oppressed or demonically possessed. Somebody, we're all going to suffer demonic oppression. That's the battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual weakness. That's the battle. But the possession side of it, such as the Minganek and Gadara, Mary Magdalene, we're not Jesus Christ, and we're not one of his apostles, and we are not commanded or called to lay hands on people to cast out devils. But you can do so through praying, through fasting, and through singing of hymns and singing of songs and getting that thing in order the way it should biblically. And understand where we should stand. At the end of the day, guys, if we have victory through the, for, through the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that takes the glory off of us and it puts it on him. This let me lay hands on you stuff, that business, that gives us the glory. That gives, you know, let me heal you, that gives us the glory. But the glory goes to the Lord Jesus Christ and we get in our prayer closet and we try to pray the release of these individuals that are caught up by that vile, wicked devil that's been brought into this world. Amen? Let's bow your heads tonight. Father, we thank you for what you've given us this evening. Lord, we thank you for the, for the interest, Lord. We also want to thank you tonight for, um, Lord, the attention for those that are here this evening. I pray that the question was answered uh, clearly and understandably. Pray, Father, we would set in, in bounds our life and where we are in this dispensation and how we should react to those who are demonically possessed and or oppressed, that we would be a friend and a, and, and a brother and sister in Christ for those that were oppressed by the devils, that we would pray with and for each and every one of them, Lord, uh, fervently. And that, dear God, that we would commit time for those that are possessed with these wicked devils in the world today that they may be released, dear God, through the power and might of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for tonight. Uh, thank you for the guidance. Thank you for the direction. I thank you for your holy scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. I do hope and pray that that answered the question clearly this evening. I pray that it um, uh, has, has, has given the answer that needs to be there. And again, I understand, guys, for time's sake tonight, we have gone uh, rather long. So I'm going to cover our announcements.